In the famous words of Matthew McConaughey, well, all right, all right, all right. Let's get this thing started, folks. This is Kip Henley bringing to you the Kip Henley Show. That's weird and conceited, but the powers to be thought it best for me to name it after me. What's up, Kipper? Hey, boy, how are you down there? You in Louisiana? I am, buddy. I'm uh, joined to be home. It's, it's good stuff here. Oh, you've been on the road. You've been burning it up, haven't you? I have. I got three more trips to uh, the Asia area, so um, I'm looking forward to being home between those trips. And uh, the weather's nice, and can't beat the Louisiana food, and the people are obviously awesome. Oh, you're you're uh, racking up some sky miles, huh, Bob? Yeah, for sure. T- uh, Bubba, you got three more trips to the Orient? Does Bubba love that that much? I guess so, man. Um, we're going to defend our title at the HSBC. And then he really likes that uh, the tournament in Japan the week after. It's, it overlooks Mount Fuji. It's really cool. The golf course does. And then um, he enjoys going to Thailand, too. It's a pretty cool spot down there. So we go there every year. Pretty awesome. He does all that for free, probably. Probably so. You know how it is. Yeah, the HSBC, something kind of cool happened there last year, didn't it? Yeah, that was pretty spectacular. I mean, um, to go from... Bogey in a hole that he can hit a three-wood on, then doubling a par three and then making an eagle to get in the playoff, and then somehow making a 40-footer was just about all the drama I could handle. <laughs> he hooped a long bunker shot on 18. I mean, that was a tough, tough shot. Yeah, that was amazing. That was the loudest I've ever heard him yell, and he, he was hoarse immediately afterwards. Awesome. Hey, uh, right now you're just back from the uh, President's Cup where some lot of cool things happened that week. Give us a little insight now. Yeah, um, you know, really the, the storyline, um, you just couldn't make that up. I mean, you know, who who would have thought that it would have come down to Bill Haas, um, you know, his dad being the captain and him being a pick uh, in the final match against Sangmoon Bay of Korea playing for the for the winning point. Um you know, it was just one of those amazing storylines, fairy tale storylines, and uh, you know, one of the things that I that I never thought I would experience is when you when you win, usually you're you're just overjoyed and super pumped up and excited. And uh, when Sangmoon Bay on the last hole, you know, didn't hit that chip up there, it rolled back to his feet. It was almost like uh, you could just feel the compassion, you know, that everybody on our team and and uh, even just everybody even on the international team had for him, knowing that he's, uh, this is, was his last day of golf before going into the military um, as required by their, their government. So um, it was just a, it was kind of a bittersweet win, but, um, but a lot of fun. You know, anytime you're in a, involved in a competition, it's, it's really, in my opinion, I'm, I'm one of these probably weirdos. I, I don't like watching a football game where somebody wins 70 to nothing. You know, it's kind of boring to me, so I, I just turn the TV off. But when you have a close match like that, it really does make it exciting. And to be a part of it makes it even more nerve-wracking and uh, nail-biting. And, and it really just makes for a great experience. So it was, it was a lot of fun, you know, to come down to the final point. I know the uh, golf fans at home, unless they just have no heart whatsoever, they were sitting there watching that with mixed emotions. I can't imagine sitting by the green and watching that go down like you guys were. Yeah, it was it was absolutely you know amazing to think like of course you want to win and you're nervous but at the same time like I said you know I, I almost part of me was thinking shoot I wouldn't be too upset if Sang Moon won and we split the cup just for his sake you know I mean that's how 
that's how bad I felt for the guy, you know, just thinking that he's in Korea, you know, next year is the Olympics and he won't be able to play for the Olympic team, um, even though he would qualify most likely. Um, you know, so this is kind of his last moment. And uh, he did so many great things on Friday and made that big putt on Friday, I think it was. And Saturday, I believe he made another big putt um, and, and won points on both those days. And, you know, we tend to remember the last moment we have on a golf course more than the moments, the other good moments. And I just hated to see him have that 18th hole and hit that chip, you know, that didn't get up on the green. I, I just, I don't know, I just felt terrible for him. Uh, and I didn't know the, I mean, he doesn't know the future. But, I mean, we don't know, he doesn't even know the future, what lies ahead in the next two years having to uh, serve for the Korean uh, military, South Korea military. I mean, I pictured like the, the, uh, the, the army running in and getting him off 18 greens. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. you're done having fun. Let's go to work. So, yeah, I know. All the stuff that's in his head right now, no telling. I wonder what he's doing today. Who knows? Isn't that something? Yeah, that match, I've said it before. Match play is a weird, it's a different bird than metal, isn't it? When you when you're playing a, a person, individual, and you beat them, I mean, it's just you against him in match play. Boy, it's hard not to have compassion if you're playing with a in a medal event and you're going with somebody and you win the golf tournament. You feel less compassion for that person because you've beaten everybody. But mono a mono, man, it's hard not to have. I tied a lot of matches that I played in match play important events because I, I think I just didn't have that smash them in the head attitude that you need to have sometimes in that. No, you don't have that. You're too nice for sure. <laughs> now, I want, like I said, the only thing worse than uh, winning a match play event is the guy beating you at match play. So I guess. Yeah, isn't that funny? It's hilarious how you, you know, if you're, if you're winning, you feel so bad for the other guy, but if you're losing, you're just ready to kill somebody. <laughs> it's like both extremes. Man, you may be the only two that look like that. Yeah. We're softies, but you're, you're still getting it done. I mean, you're a bit of fabulous caddy. Hey, uh, tell us how you ended up getting this stupid profession that we do, little buddy. Well, I mean, you didn't just wind up on Bubba Watson's bag one day, did you? No, and uh, I started caddying in March of 2000 just uh, out of sheer desperation of trying to become a better golfer. In 2000, the Web.com tournament came to my hometown. I tried to do the Monday qualifier, uh, didn't make it, had a fever of about 102. On Tuesday, I went out to go find the caddy master, and he happened to have Grant Waite sitting there, and Grant Waite hired me for the week, said, hey, let's go play nine holes now. I said, I can't go on Tuesday. I'm sick. I got a fever, but I'll be ready Thursday. For some reason, he decided to keep me. So Thursday rolled around. And he had got somebody to, to carry his bag on the front nine, so he had never seen the back nine. And we, we started on number 10. And he said, hey, what's it to cover that bunker? I said, it's a two iron. He said, well, it might be a two iron for you, but I don't know how far you had a two iron. I said, well, that's fair enough. So then his next question was, how far is it to carry that bunker? I said, well, it's about 200 yards. He said, about? I said, yeah. He goes, how far does it say it is to carry that bunker in the yardage book? I said, I don't have a yardage book. You're the pro. What do I need a yardage book for? So his he eyes. Got, with no book. Yeah, that's right. His eyes got bigger than an owl, and uh, he made me sprint to the pro shop, sprint back. I pulled out the book. It was 203 yards to carry, and the man hit a two iron. I thought, what in the world am I doing here right now? <laughs> he wanted your 20 bucks back for the book. That's right, and uh, he ended up he ended up going five under through five holes. And the first five holes, and I, I was already calculating what's ten percent of ninety thousand, as a good caddy would. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, but the funniest part was, 
on uh, the 13th hole, which was our fourth hole. It's, uh, it's nicknamed Gator's Jaw. It was the hardest hole on the Nike Tour every year or nationwide, whatever it was back then. And uh, I, I proceeded to tell him that before he teed off and make sure that he knew where all the trouble was. You know, I pretty much made every mistake known to man. And the, the, the final straw was on Sunday when he asked me to be there an hour early. I showed up 10 minutes early because I didn't realize it was daylight savings time. So, uh, yeah, I had a, a quite a go my first week. And for some reason, Grant Waite asked me to caddy some more and Three months later, I was standing in the fairway watching Tiger Woods beat us by one and at Glen Abbey, hitting a six iron over water out of a bunker. Wait a minute. Now, right wait, 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 wait. You said how many months later? Three months. So you've been caddying three months, and you are standing in the fairway when Tiger hit that bunker shot at Glen Abbey. That's right. And here's what's funny. I got a funny story that you'll like. Um, the week before that, Grant had finished second at the Bell Canadian Open in Vancouver, Rory Sabatini birdied two of the last three. So on uh, on Monday, we flew to Toronto, and I'm in my hotel. I go down to the hot tub, and I'm sitting there by myself. It's got a you know a little sign probably, I think it said maximum eight people. No caddies. Yeah, exactly. No caddies were allowed in the hotel part. <laughs> and uh, next thing you know, about 12 Japanese people walk in and get in the hot tub with me. So, you know, it's that awkward moment where you don't know when to get out, you know, you don't want to be too rude, but you definitely are uncomfortable because your toes are touching and everything. So finally I look up and make eye contact with one of them, and it's Shigeki Mariyama. And I said, oh, hey, Shigeki. And he says, oh, hello. And he says, uh, he says, you play golf? I said, no. He goes, what do you do? I said, I caddy. He said, who are you caddy for? And I said, Grant Wade. He said, last week a bigger money. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. So that was my, that was kind of what got me into caddy. And I was like, hey, these second place finishes aren't that bad. My story is a little simpler than that. <laughs> they asked me how I got into caddy, and I said I failed at everything else in life. That's how I. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so wait a minute. Now I know that at one point you you caddy for Zinger because that's how I knew you when I came on tour as a Fousey. That was the only thing I knew to call you. I didn't know your name, and you were Fousey because you played. Uh, foosball at a super high level you were like nationally ranked right now tell me about how that works in with zinger yeah when i split up with uh, grant Waite, uh, i decided to go back to, to trying to play mini tour golf and one of the tailor-made reps had come up to me and said that paul azinger you know played foosball and i should go introduce myself so i went and introduced myself to him and he asked me to show him a couple things on the foosball table because there was this attorney that he was playing back home that was beating him every time so you know, Paul's the most competitive person you're he probably. He really gonna. is. So he, uh, so he's like, "Hey, can you come to my house and show me how to play and teach me some things?" So I did, and in turn, he decided to help me with my short game. And I thought, "Hey, that's a pretty good deal, you know, to, to get wedge play instruction and chipping instruction from Paul Azinger while helping him play foosball." Um, so that that worked out really well. And then uh, later that year, he had only made two cuts. Probably it was probably August, I think, when they had the Flint, Michigan tournament. And uh, he asked me to go caddy at Flint, Michigan, because it's a great town for foosball, actually, at nighttime. So he's like, hey, why don't you come over here and caddy this week, and we'll play some foosball. And we finished. I, I think it was ninth place. And he asked me to start caddying for him. So through my foosball skills, I actually got a job working for Paul Azinger, and we worked together for three years. Well, how far was Zinger from full power at that time? Uh, you mean in foosball or golf? Golf. 
<laughs> he was struggling. You know, when I when I started working for him, he was really having some back issues and and uh, you know he couldn't really put in the practice and rehearsals and and just really struggling with his ball striking. But he was tough as nails and he was still a fantastic with his short game. I mean, if you got him probably 150 in, I, he was one of the best in the world, in my opinion. That was after he had been sick, though, right? Yeah, yeah, that was years after he'd been sick. He got sick in the early '90s, and uh, you know he was at least at least ten years cancer free when I started working for him. You know, when I first started doing this uh, gig, we got paired with Zinger two or three different times, and man, I loved going out with that guy because he was so competitive. I mean, he was fiery. He'd smash D marks <laughs> and stuff. But oh yeah, I love that. He would never. I mean, if he talk, if he's going down the fairway, he'd soon just talk to the caddy as the player. That's what kind of human he is. Not all the players. <laughs> I tend to involve the caddy in the conversations, but Zinger was he was just so competitive and he was just cool. He was a down to earth kind of guy, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, that was one of the funniest things when we went to Flint, Michigan, he you know, we went to this bar that he was playing foosball at, I guess, the year before and invited me to play, you know, come come up there and we walk in and he's introducing me to all these people and, and it kinda shocked me. You know, I knew I I knew a lot of foosball players and it didn't shock me, but to to have a PGA tour pro hanging out with foosball players, you know, they're a different breed of human being. I was like, wow, this guy's really cool and down to earth. So it really is true. I mean, he's just, just a good old boy. As far as I know, and I played a little bit of foosball in school and stuff and seen it lots, but you're the only foosball player that doesn't smoke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, when, easily, aren't they? That's right. When I brought my mom to the world championships in 1994, to, to see what it was all about, I think she was kind of shocked. She's like, oh, boy, my son's a drug addict. <laughs> Closet drug addict. Too funny. Teddy, all this, the World Foosball Championship, caddying for Grant Way, caddying next to Tiger when he hits the greatest shot. You kind of won a couple little tournaments down there in uh, South Georgia at Augusta. I mean, what is amazing. Listen to your life, Teddy. This one all has happened to you. Yeah, it is fantastic. I mean, I, I'm I'm super blessed, and uh, you know, I don't take it for granted. I don't know why good things keep happening to me, but I but I am thankful every day, and um, you know, I just really have a, have had a great time in my life in many many areas and many different ways. So, pinching myself, Kipper. All right, now let's get to the the uh, crux of this thing. You're uh, Bubba Watson's guy, and he is a polarizing figure on the TV now, and it's gotten. I mean, as much as he's gotten great press in the last couple of uh, few years, he's gotten a little bit of bad press, and people think he's all he does is just cream Teddy all day. Is that accurate? That is not accurate, my friend. And it's the hardest part about my job, you know, is is I'm only one voice. But um, you know, there was that moment in Hartford, and we all have moments in our life that we're not proud of, and that was you know a moment I know in, in Bubba's life that he wasn't happy with. But um, you know, it's just one of those things where. Um, one bad moment and he got labeled as a guy that treats his caddy bad and you know we all know that Bubba's a very reactional emotional person so every time he misses a putt you know he looks up at me and everybody assumes that he's blaming me but the reality is is every time Bubba hits a putt and it goes left and he thinks it's going straight he just says that went left you know he's not saying you said it went left I mean, it was going to go straight and it went left he's just saying that went left and he kind of master of the obvious so to speak and um you know, that's the hardest part for me is just because I know what a good guy Bubba is and what a great heart he is, he has. And the hard part for me is I, I just don't have the 
the media power myself to defend him and change that image. But, um, you know, the coolest part about it all is all the criticism that Bubba's taken, you know, he's actually taken it and tried to make himself a better person. And I don't know many people that would do that. A lot of people would become bitter and angry. And every time someone calls him out, he mans up and says, you're right. And he, he tries to work on it. And, you know, that's really all we can ask of people. Awesome. I think you've done uh, more than your share of help to set the image straight. I know Bubba. I mean, he, he whenever he comes out there, like I said, he's a big break fan. And so, uh, <laughs> who is it? Him, man. <laughs> yeah, he was always, he, he always turned it around. Not, he would make Don Donatello beating you, but he didn't beat you. <laughs> no, he didn't. But and whenever I'd walk out there on the range, Bubba's there. He'd scream, make everybody look at me like he would try to flip around, like, don't look at me, look at this guy. This guy won the big break right here. He was yeah. always joking funny. I mean, Bubba, I'm a, I'm a Bubba fan, but uh, I think you've done a more than your share to, to bring shed good light on that boy. And he deserves it too, but like you said, Bubba's all right. And so I enjoy it. Um, all right, Teddy, now you got, you've been doing this with him for how many years now? We just started our 10th year at the Deutsche Bank Tournament. 10 years you've hung in there and been Bubba's right-hand man. That's, That's right. pretty awesome. Did you know that uh, years ago when he start when he first started to ask you, he asked me if I wanted to lose for him. Did you know that? I did not know that. I'm glad that he did, you didn't take him up on that offer. I'd be really uh, offer didn't come around. Selling right cars or something right now. The the real I think he probably was jerking my chain like he likes to do because I mean you were just in the process of being hired, and he said to me and I said yeah sure Bob I'd work for you and the, and at that time he was just just out of the nationwide kind, he wasn't nobody really. I mean, he's just a buddy of mine that I played mini tours with and stuff. So. Right. But thank goodness. I mean, that would have been one of the only bad things that's ever happened to you in your life if I would have got that back. <laughs> that's right. But well, I wouldn't have known it was a bad thing that happened to me because I never would have known him. So. <laughs> I should say I could have been in the hot tub with the Japanese guys, but that was post-Bubba. <laughs> yeah, that was pre-Bubba. I mean pre-Bubba. <laughs> Got to get that. Post and pre-write. All right, now, uh, you ended up with Bubba, and you've just done, just tell us a little bit about this Masters thing. How in the world did that happen out there on the, I mean, he's, he, you're standing next to the guy who had arguably, arguably one of the greatest shots in, in Majors history. It'll go down, if they watch Masters highlights, that hooked shot out of the trees on 10 will be shown in every highlight reel. You're standing next to that. Tell us how that went down. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's it's one of those shots that, that you know, people will probably never forget as long as their golfing life goes on, and uh, I'll never forget it either. You know, it's an interesting thing. The very first week I ever worked for Bubba in 06, you know, he was hitting huge hooks on the range with a lob wedge just for fun and big slices with three irons, and, you know, I realized what a talent he was, and, I, and I've had the opportunity to play golf with him a whole bunch of times, so whenever we hit it over there in the woods, you know, from the tee, you don't know what you're going to have. And, you know, you're thinking, oh, boy, now we're in the, you know, pretty deep in the trees and probably have to punch out. Now we're, you know, behind the eight ball. We get down there, and uh, the, the, the ball was, you know, sitting perfect. Um, the pine straw from people walking, I think, was pretty, you know, pretty, almost like hard pan. It was pretty flat down. And the ball was just sitting real nice, and there's a nice little gap to hit it out of the trees. And there was only one option, which kind of, you know, as a caddy, sometimes makes it a lot easier, you know, to, to help choose what shot or what club it's like hey this is our only option let's just go with it and uh knowing the capabilities that Bubba has to hit big hooks it really wasn't that difficult to to pick a club and you know he's going to hook it somewhere near the green now the situation made it you know way more impressive you know um I, I often equate it to 
when Tiger Woods made that six or seven footer to tie Bob May, you know, that was an amazing putt. And to me, I know this is kind of a strange comparison, but I, I feel like my mom could make that putt that Tiger made, but, but not in the situation, right? So what made the putt that Tiger made against Bob May or even the one he made, you know, to tie Rocco Media at Torrey Pines, what makes those so amazing is the situation. And really, for Bubba, it's kind of like a vanilla shot to hit a hook that much. What made it so amazing was the situation, to be able to do it under the pressure. And then, of course, you know, where the ball ended up, you know, to hook something that much and it go the right distance and end up that accurate, you know, those are all kind of bonuses. But, you know, standing there on the side on the side of him while he's standing over the ball, I knew he was going to hook it at least pretty close to the green, you know. Seen him with way more difficult shots. I know Absolutely. But. Yeah, so, but yeah, it was, you know, once again, just pinching myself to be there and witness that, you know, it was absolutely fantastic. And I also witnessed one of the, probably one of the other great shots ever in the history of the Masters was Louis Oosthuizen on number two the same day. Y'all were you know, that day? Yeah, I think it took 27 seconds or something, they said, for that ball from the time it left his club to the time it went in the hole that, to make a double eagle. So, <laughs> there on number two, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, you know, we were playing with him and then uh, we returned the favor on number 10. So, God, I know that if, if I could just, whoever the next person I look for, if I could just get in the last group with you on Sunday, something great's going to happen. I need to get there with you. That's oh, it. Nah, man. <laughs> Hope you would get to witness one of my guys doing it. Yeah, you I would see, love that. You talked about uh, Bubba going to the range. I've seen his range. Uh, I mean, for the real golf nuts out there that try and figure out every angle of the game, you would want. Well, maybe you would want to watch Bubba practice because it's a thing of beauty. There's, you know, a lot of guys go to the rock pile and they've got ropes tied to them and hula hoops <laughs> in their bag. They look like they're going to the kiddie pool walking out there. Their bag does. But your guy just stands up there and just whacks hooks and tries to hit the range guy, doesn't he? I mean, he does it. Right. It's more a waste of time for him out of sheer boredom and, and the feeling of obligation. You know, there's, we don't go to the range, and when we do, it's, it's, uh, it's like, oh, I guess I'll go hit a few. It's almost like a chore, you know. I guess I'll go make my bed. Yeah. Because guests are coming over. I think he walks up because everybody else is practicing. He wants to do it. Yeah, I've seen them around their chipping green. It is it's just a blast to sit there. So if you're a golf fan, there's a chipping green out of it, and Bubba's at the tournament. Go stand next to Teddy and watch this guy go around the chipping green. It's he's just crazy. He's just doing everything but practicing, isn't he? He is. You know, he just he entertains himself, and and it's really probably one of the reasons why he's so good at golf because. You know, you, he, but he even says this, you know, you're never going to have a flat lie on the golf course, so why would I go practice a bunch of flat lie shots on the range? And it's, you know, it's, part of me thinks that's dumb, and the other part of me thinks it's genius, so <laughs> I can't figure out which one to go with. Yeah, you know, but, I, uh, I had a guy play a caddy for it, and, you know, you stand on the range, and you sit there and hit this iron after iron after iron off this tight, nice dirt, and then you get to a par three, and you tee the ball up a quarter inch off the ground. Yeah. Great player says, "You put it on a tee, put it on a tee." But I don't know. We practice all day off the dirt, don't we? Yeah, it's true. You know, it does make total sense. So I don't know. There's there's more than one way to do it. That's for sure. That's one thing we do know about this game. Yeah, your guy is a free thinker. I mean, never had a golf lesson. Well, he's never had a, like a formal teacher, has he? No, you know, he he learns everything by watching, and uh, 
you know, he doesn't even ask questions. You know, we used to play a lot of practice rounds with Tiger, and he, he, you know, he never even asked him any questions about how to do stuff. He just watched him and observed. And you know, afterwards, you'd say, "Man, did you see how Tiger did this?" Or so and so does that. You know, he he doesn't uh, he doesn't get any formal instruction. He just kind of you know feel player and and probably as a kid, he probably just imitated whoever swing he liked. You know. Yeah. Yes, certainly a field player for sure. Well, all right, you know, I said that uh, uh, you caddying for uh, Bubba. I, I've, I've told, told this to other caddies. I said Bubba Watson could interview two. He could interview two million caddies around the world if there is that many, and he <laughs> could research and search and do background checks and do personality tricks. And he could not have a guy that matches with you. Teddy, you are absolutely the perfect. You see this on tours sometimes. You see this guy, God, this guy really matches up with that guy. And you look at others and go, well, how are they working together? That's weird. And usually those guys don't work out. You know, the caddies understand. But I'm telling you, Bubba, could, he, could, he could interview the world, and he's got the perfect. Man, you guys got thrown together, and by fate, I swear you did. Yeah, I appreciate that, Kip. I definitely uh, I feel the same way. You know, I mean, um, we gel really well together, and, we have a lot of the same humor with both um, Christians and, you know, just got a lot of similarities, so it, it definitely works out well. Um, you know, the first four years caddying for him was difficult, you know, um, because Bubba, you know, his attitude wasn't right to be a top player. And, uh, you know, just to show you the kind of relationship we have, um, in 2004, uh, sorry, 2010, the week before he won his first tournament, I was able to call him out and just say, hey, listen, man, you're being a jerk, you know, on the course, and and, and, you know, I don't think that's who you want to be. You know, you're letting the golf ball and the results determine who you are as a man. And uh, I don't think that's what you want your life to be about. And I, and I thought he was going to fire me because I was pretty harsh. And he, he owned up to it. He said, you're absolutely right. I mean, he made a change. And the ne very next week, he won his first PGA Tour event. And you can see, looking at his results, um, you know, since from 2010 on, you know, he's really had much better success by changing his attitude and you know that's a lot of credit to him and and just to show that you know how much I do enjoy working with him he's a great guy and a lot of fun and we we laugh a ton probably too much we probably distract other people you know hey, so, I, um, hearing you say that uh being a caddy and having a few different bags I know I've had those talks before and I mean man that is absolutely you're walking on a thin sheet of ice when you have those like you said you thought you know he may have fired me but you knew you were telling him the right stuff, and and, and he sh he has to hear it. And I mean, sometimes our job ain't any fun, too. You know, and it's almost like, well, I hope he fires me. Part of me hope right. he fires me. You know. Yeah, it's funny how I know you. You've had it many a times. You know, it's like you get some random person to come up to you, and, and man, I wish I could caddy so easy. Or they say, uh, "Hey, can you can you tell Tiger that I want a caddy?" <laughs> it's like, okay, listen, bud. Number one, caddying is very difficult. I know people don't think it is, but usually people that do it their first time go, wow, this is way harder than I thought. And two, Tiger Woods is not going to take some random person he's never met that doesn't know anything about caddying. Well, they tell me all, all, I hear it all the time. In fact, I got on my Twitter thing, the, my, <laughs> the top of my thing, I don't know any tour players looking for a caddy because I get asked, <laughs> I mean, once or twice a week. Right. Off weeks, I get asked that. You know, it's just like, yeah, he'll just he'll just grab you out of your house. He don't know who you are, and you'll hire you, no problem. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm in between bags right now, and that's why I need to tell him that. Uh, it, I, in fact, a guy asked me, and I said I was about to ask you the same question. How do you get one of these tour bags? <laughs> 
Right, that's right. So you better hope old Bubba don't ask me right now, Teddy. I'll just have to cut your legs right out from under you. <laughs> hey, that's all right, man. You know, Bubba's a close enough friend, and I've told him this before, you know, at times where he's struggling a little bit. I say, look, man, if you can find somebody that can help you, you know, that's your, this is your livelihood, your business, you know, and it's not easy to swallow your pride and say that, but, you know, I mean it. You know, it's like, hey, I don't want to hold somebody back from their, from their potential, so... If I'm holding him back, you know, if, if he, he's number four in the world and he can be number one with you on the bag, Kipper, go for it, buddy. Dude, I would pull him back down to the Nationwide Tour in two years. I'd fix him <laughs> up perfect. He's got the perfect guy, Teddy Boy. I'd no one, I wouldn't want to walk in those size 12s you've been walking around in, boss, or is it more? It's 13s, but that's all right. I, mean, I couldn't fit in those 13s, boss, I promise. <laughs> oh, shoot. All right, little buddy. I know you've been on the road a lot, and uh, – Boy, you're, you blessed us with this daggum conversation, and we appreciate you coming on here. I know you got your family at home, and it ain't long before you got to go back over there and start eating sushi again. That's it, man. Not a bad thing. I like it. You do? I do, man. I love that stuff. Yuck. Yeah. <laughs> well, you haven't had sushi in Japan. Now, that's like the freshest place in the world to eat sushi, so it's pretty it's good. It's just right there, huh? Fish is still moving. It's good, man. Oh, goodness gracious. Hey, what about let me, last thing I want to touch on? Retirement for you. Do you see anything down? And that sounds like I'm trying to get Bubba's back. Bubba, you, I think you are. And when Bubba, when Teddy quits you, like next year, and you, you've paid him so much money, and you thinking about me, don't think about me. I'm t- way too thin-skinned to work for you, Bubba. <laughs> I'm kidding, Teddy. You know I would never do that. Oh yeah, I know. Do you that. see the end for you, Bob? You know, I um, I I would like to be here when my kids are doing their ball games and dance recital type stuff. And uh, so for me, you know, my goal is about five more years. And, um, you know, the only way I would keep going, I think, after about five more years would be if, if Bubba was playing maybe like 15 tournaments a year, kind of the Steve Stricker schedule. Uh, I can't see myself, you know, even though he, he doesn't play a lot right now. He plays 23 to 24, so it's less than most people. But, um, you know, I've been trying to be smart with my money and, save up and uh been looking you know at what else i can do <clears throat> so yeah I, I'm, my goal is about five more years but you just never know what you know what's going to come down the pipe and and uh you know i'm uh, that's my goal but that doesn't mean it's going to happen if there's one thing for sure in our gig little buddy is there's nothing for sure it- that's a fact isn't it it's like farming you know people don't realize you know when you're when you're a farmer you, you have years where the weather's bad and your crops don't grow or you know, there's a drought or whatever, and it's it's a lot like that in Caddy. And so, you know, people people assume, and I've even had people say really ugly things to me. You know, after a good year, even when I worked for Grant Waite, you know, like, you know, I've had people say ugly things to me about just kind of rude. You know, like, how are you so lucky or whatever? And in the next year, you don't make anything. You know, and and that's kind of the way of Caddy. I've been really blessed to work for a top player who's played well for a long time now, but. You know, most of us um, guys that, that do this for a living, people don't realize you know, it's a it's a tough it's a tough gig. You know, you've got to you've got to kind of average out your 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 five years of income, and that's really more likely what you're what you're making. Not just one good year doesn't make you guaranteed to make it every year. You know, so no doubt with your uh, uh, referring it that way, that means I'm in the Dust Bowl of Kansas in 1940 or whatever year it was. <laughs> Now, my caddy career, and I wasn't smart to put it away when I was getting it. I made the classic rookie mistake when it was rolling in and Brian Gates was winning golf tournaments. I was buying dinners, and 
everything for everybody and new cars. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to win every, you know, I'll win two or three times a year now. Uh-oh. Right. <laughs> yeah, womp, womp. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. Uh, Teddy, I know I'm going to let you hang out with your family, man. You've given us a great 30 or 40 minutes. I mean, the golf nuts are going to just love this, little buddy, getting to see an inside to Bubba and, and what you do and what we do. And we're so grateful for you to come on here and share your time with us when I know you don't got that much time. I appreciate it, Kip. Thanks a lot, man. Teddy, I'll see you somewhere out there on the road, brother. I'm looking forward to it, buddy. Travel safe. You're the best. All right, see you, pal. All right, good people. I appreciate you tuning in and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed uh, presenting to you. We'll have some fun on here. I need you guys to get on uh, the Twitter and follow the APTC. That way you can send in your comments and uh, questions and just use the hashtag AskKip. And uh, if it's not dirty or pertaining to my wife's body parts, we'll take care of those things and answer them for you and have some fun with those. And uh, I guess until next time, I'll talk at you later. Um, Remember now, when you go golfing, skip the cart and grab a caddy, take him along with you and have a great day.